computer. There we go. And it is recording. Okay, so hi everybody. I'm delighted to be able to welcome Rob Martineau. This is my first ever podcast interview with anyone. Um, so uh, this is going to be rough and ready around the edges. And I do apologize for that. Rob is the author of a book which is soon to appear. Uh, I urge you all to go and buy it. It's called Waypoints, A Journey on Foot. And it's published by Jonathan Cape. It appears on the, or it, it will be physically available on the 1st of April, and I'm sure you can also buy it uh, in Kindle and other formats. Um, it is a really quite wonderful book. I'll tell you how I came to know about this book. Rob emailed me. Uh, we both have a mutual interest in walking, and he sent me a copy of this book, and uh, I just thought it was really a wonderful read. It's an interestingly different book to the average book on walking. Uh, it's a park meditation, it's a park memoir, it's a park travelogue, and it's partly a discursive piece of non-fiction. You end up learning lots of things. Um, I've, I discovered all sorts of stories in that book that uh, I was completely unaware of. Uh, a remarkable family in, in Russia who were fleeing pogroms and uh, disappeared into the forests and had no human contact for uh, mm -hmm. 40 or 50 years. There are many, many other uh, stories. And the other thing I want to say is that unlike me, uh, Rob is a brave walker. I have never undertaken a, a walk of a thousand miles uh, duration in uh, places that I have never been to. Um, and some of the parts and stories that he has to tell in this book are a, a little bit harrowing in places. Uh, he he uh, suffers periods of sickness. Some of the places he beds down at night are little unpleasant. Um, but nonetheless, this book is a wonderful testament to uh, a spiritual journey, uh, to a, a journey into the self, and uh, all of those uh, kinds of things. So, Rob, thank you for being my first experimental podcast participant. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that uh, amazing introduction. I my editor actually sent me um, in praise of walking your book um, when I was doing my final kind of edit of waypoints and there were so many ideas in that as well and, um, and, and things that it made me think about that I was really yeah really excited to, to be able to send you waypoints and then even more excited to be able to, to speak and to catch up um, in this way because I think um, you unlike me have much more experience in in neuroscience and that side of things. I was also a bit nervous when I uh, sent you my book that I might have written things that weren't as scientifically correct. <laughs> no, I don't think there are any worries uh, at all where that that's concerned. We, we, we're both trying to tell two different stories here. Um, and uh, in my own case, what I'm trying to do is just uh, tell what we know of the science of walking from the inside out, from uh, how the body and brain experience it and what it's like to walk through the world uh, in terms of how we navigate and uh, all of those kinds of things. But your book is quite different. Will, will you go back maybe to, not to the start of your journey uh, on foot, but go back to the point at which you decided you felt you must write a book uh, about that journey and tell us why you did that. Sure thing. So uh, I suppose to give a bit of background, I left, uh, I was working in an office job um, uh, back in like, 2013. I wasn't um, particularly happy uh, and I felt I needed to make a change in my in my life. Um, and the idea for a long walk um, was kind of what I turned to. I was really interested in the idea that a long walk could be a kind of therapy and could help reset a life. 
Um, and so I, I set out with that goal, I guess, to try to help myself and to try to help me understand where to go next. Um, and I was really lucky to be able to, um, to do that. And anyway, I spent about six months uh, walking in, in this amazing part of West Africa. So it's in Ghana, Togo and Benin. Um, and anyway, I came back from the journey in um, the end of 2013. Um, and I... I had an amazing, yeah, an amazing experience, and I then started work in another job, and I was sort of moving on, as it were. Um, and I hadn't really, I'd sort of had some aspirations to write, but I hadn't really sort of thought about how I could turn the walk into a relevant story um, for people. Then, uh, some years later, only three years later, someone I'm very close to um, had uh, a breakdown, which was. Um, very very sad and I was visiting that person in psychiatric hospital um and through those visits and um being very close to, to that experience I began to think again about some of the ideas I'd taken into my decision um to go on that long walk and some of the things I'd experienced and learned through it um and it was that in a sense it was a trigger for me to to look again at what a long walk can do and the idea of a walking pilgrimage and I began to explore in a slightly different way I suppose the psychological and the mystical background to to a walking pilgrimage in a not in a strictly kind of Christian way um, or a religious way but as a kind of therapeutic experience. So just focusing on that for a moment um, your writing process you mentioned a, a few points through the book uh, that you wrote notes in notebooks and you would post these notebooks home and there's a, a story about you come back to find a pile of them on, yeah. on uh, your bed, uh, which uh, <laughs> I, I thought was uh, fantastic. And you also used a dictaphone. Did mm. you use a kind of a reconstructive process by reading through the books to write the, your own book or your notebooks or did you uh, sit down, tell the story and then fill out components from the books? How did you go about the whole, that whole process? Well, the, yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, the notebooks are pretty rough. Um, so they were just almost, I suppose, like people would imagine, almost like a holiday diary. I mean, it was just my thoughts, my reflections on the day. It was something to give me to do. Often I was camping in the middle of nowhere and I was in a tent with a head torch or sitting in the last hours of light. And all I had was, you know, I'd often not even have a book. I'd have like a notebook and a pen. So it was kind of a natural thing to do. I took a dictaphone because someone had said it would be a good idea. It's quite a weird thing to take. And I'm actually really glad that I did. And then when I got home, I kind of didn't really know what to, to do with them. I, I started trying to write, I guess, a travel book, um, just a more straightforward narrative of the journey. And it just didn't really work. There wasn't um, enough there or enough kind of reason for being. Um, so anyway, when I came to write... Um, in 2017 and sit down to write with a different objective I had this kind of skeleton essentially of typed up notes some of which were um, telling the stories that I'd um, experienced along the way and some of the encounters I'd had along the way and then as probably comes through in the book it was then kind of connecting those stories with I suppose the ideas I'd had around the things that inspired me before and the ideas I'd had since about reflecting how it had affected me and what I believed it can do, that kind of long walk uh, in terms of helping you get clarity, helping you 
come to terms with loss, helping you um, ultimately become transform yourself. Um, so it's not we, in any way. Could <laughs> we explore that point just a little about the issue of the reset, which uh, is one that I'm, I'm always fascinated by, and uh, the the scientific literature on this is is very very thin. And I think this is because it just hasn't been explored. Yeah. Um, there, there are a great many narrative accounts going back over at least a thousand, if not more years, of people undertaking these long journeys on foot. Um, and what fascinates me about these journeys is uh, the role imagination plays, uh, and I mean imagination in its most expansive sense. Yeah. So you have Camino pilgrims, for example, will walk the 1200 kilometers uh, of, of the Camino. And they're doing this um, for consequences that are in part physical because it, walking distances like this will have a, an enormous physical impact on your body for the better, not for the worse, uh, for the most part. Uh, but you're doing it also because you're participating in an imagined culture. It's not a, a physical thing. Um, you are participating because you have the same beliefs that other pilgrims on the same journey are undertaking in a, in Santiago and, and all of the other, the other components of it. But this is not unique to European pilgrimage. It's also something that happens in India. It happens in Mexico. It happens in places all over the world where people walk uh, to this end. Uh, but typically what they've done, and this is why I, I kind of want to focus on this point with you, is they walk with others. Um, uh, whereas you walked alone, um, but you kept encountering others, yeah. uh, which is kind of a, an interesting way. You, you weren't seeking the solace of comfort of people who were familiar to you. Uh, mm. Instead, what you were doing was engaging with many people whom you've met and will never meet again. Um, that, that, that is the nature of a, a journey like this. Um, and yet you sought some form of kind of reset from that journey. Can you, can you talk just a bit about what it was like from the inside uh about this whole process yeah, yeah absolutely i think i suppose quite quite a lot there uh, to, to unpack in a way i think i was really drawn to the idea of um i guess pilgrimage and i should say i'm not religious so not in a yeah kind of religious way but the idea that you're part of something larger through a journey and that even though i wasn't doing something like following something like camino where you're actually physically part of a a group but that you're essentially kind of taking on a ritual that people have been doing for thousands of years and people still do all over the world and I was really drawn to the idea of of that and that of taking part in something and through that forging connections um, with you know with the past and with different places and with the natural world things that perhaps I've been shut off from and so or shut off from myself in some respects with the lifestyle I'd, I'd chosen before um and I think the idea of a solitary walk for me partly it was to give myself I guess a struggle I think in some of the ideas that hopefully explored in the book is the importance of this idea of having a like struggle I think a pilgrimage or a long journey like that long journey on foot it lays that lays that bare in a really simple way so you have your kind of daily struggle I guess it's might be walking 30 40 miles sometimes that physically is challenging um you're carrying your pack um and it you kind of are forced to confront that every day and it becomes all of your your whole life in a way everything is reduced down to 
can I cover those miles? And then I set my tent and I, I get my food, I get my water and then I sleep. I get up at 5 a.m. the next morning and I do it again. Almost all of the clutter that perhaps what was in my life beforehand falls away. And that the idea was that that could help um, develop some clarity and help me think in a different way um, because you kind of very focused on overcoming that struggle that you've set yourself. Um, and I suppose one of the things I probably went into the walk with that idea, not necessarily that fully able to fully articulate it, but it came from books like through, um, through, you know, Walden, those kind of books that I've read and, and loved. And I went into it with those kind of aspirations. I suppose what, what quickly became apparent is that it wasn't really what was going to happen. I was so reliant on the people uh, and places along the way and whether it was camping in villages or whether it was when I got sick, people looking after me, um, that actually it wasn't one guy on a struggle. It was one person who was just incredibly reliant on all the people along the way. Um, and actually the part of the world I was in, so Ghana, Togo and Benin, for me, it was just an amazing, it was a pretty unique place to have that experience because again, it maybe sounds like a cliche, but there are, elements of community or taking in strangers that happen there or that happened to me there that I find hard to believe would happen in quite the same way in um in the UK um and certainly that is a really special thing um that I would arrive in a village and people would take me in they'd give me food I'd sleep there for a night sometimes two nights and then I'd move on and it all felt quite natural um and it was very special to be able to 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 live like that. So the, the, there's a wonderful uh, expression which I, I, I always take delight in, which is uh, relying on the comfort of strangers. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I always think this, that the, this is a, a part of our common humanity that we really underestimate, mm. uh, which is our willingness to cooperate and to help each other uh, for no end and gain for ourselves. That uh, people are happy to share uh, and we'll look after each other in, in all sorts of ways that, uh, I, and I suppose just the, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the map, uh, and I've never been to Africa, so I, I have no kind of topography in mind. Uh, when you, when you look at the map in, in your book, uh, you don't quite know what the density of people that you're going to encounter will be like. You don't know a whole lot of things. So in a, in a very large way, you, you went there. Imagining people would be able to help if you needed help. And that's exactly what you found. Yeah, 100%. I think I went into it with quite, uh, probably with a lot of preconceptions that were wrong, certainly. Um, but I always, one thing I always went into it believing is that, and was right in a way, is that people would be really kind to me. Um, and I think I've always, I've been lucky to do quite a lot of long distance journeys I suppose um, whether it's running or um, cycling and I've always found that that wherever you go people will always help and I think having I was often warned even transitioning from say zone to zone from one area say the kind of more forest area in the south of Ghana transitioning more into the, the drier kind of north where there are more nomadic peoples I was warned by some of those roadblocks and I'd be warned by the soldiers there who were always really nice to me but they'd be like 
you can't go where you're going. You're going to get in real trouble. The, um, the, the herdsmen are going to see you and they're going to see dollars and they're going to, um, you know, they're going to hurt you. And I just never, perhaps naively, but I never believed that that would be the case. And it never was the case. I never was once, I mean, ultimately going to Togo and Benin, safe, really lovely countries to walk through there, like not dangerous, but I would get warm. I never believed that people would target me. And I always went into things thinking that it would be all right to camp there. I don't know. People, and I think maybe that's not that attitude, but if you go in with that mindset, then perhaps naive, but then it's more likely to turn out that way. Well, it did because we're here having this conversation you know, <laughs> rather than uh, disinterring uh, terrible news stories. Uh, and often, you know, we, we have this human habit of, of looking at the hit the awful thing, if it, if it bleeds, it leads, rather than the, the stories of common cooperation and common humanity, the, the things that bind us together rather than the, the things that differentiate us. And I, I think that's one of the marvelous stories or marvelous feelings, rather, that you get from reading your book, that uh, uh, you go through these diverse areas where there's obviously some differences in terms of how people see each other, uh, mm. but also a willingness to see you have safe passage uh, uh, all the way. And it's amazing if you think, I mean, one of the really challenging things in some respects is the history well, between England and Britain and that part of the world, both in terms of slavery, but colonialism. I mean, some of the places I was going through, the British burnt those cities down in um, 150 years ago, is when it finished the kind of desert part of the journey and this amazing shrine in the mountains, a place called Tenzug. And Again, yeah, I read afterwards quite a lot about it, and there's just accounts of yeah the British going up there and trying to shut the shrine down, actually being the last place in Ghana that um, withstood British uh, colonial rule. And there are these, and they're not. It's not that long ago, and actually, it's a really sobering thing to pass these amazing places and to be treated in an amazing way, and then to ultimately still carry the baggage. I still having white skin and uh, and the privilege. I know the privilege that comes with that, even in um, countries like Ghana, um, it there is still so much legacy and baggage there. And it's not something I'm fully able to kind of unpack in my own mind, but definitely felt really extraordinary in some ways that I was able to go to Tengzug, which is if you showed you, showed you pictures of it, you'd think it was quite an amazing place. You know, this sort of animal jaws hanging from lots of the doors it looks quite um remarkable it almost looks like it's been dug from the ground it's this amazing kind of sand walled um settlement and there's baobabs all around it's really an amazing place but just to be able to go there and arrive on foot and um given the history and just i stayed there for three or four days there was money for food i was welcomed in a really amazing way and actually was able to visit the the shrine itself um and yeah it's it, it was a really it's a really amazing i was very lucky to to travel to those places and to visit those places on foot was really really special um, can we just uh maybe shift gear a moment um and i want to talk uh about the experience of flow for mm. a, a moment uh so this is a a centrally important uh psychological concept um and uh, it was originally uh, brought into the literature by uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, the uh, Hungarian-American uh, uh, psychologist. Mm. And uh, what he captures in the word flow is the is the idea of kind of in, 
almost intense enjoyment um, when you're, but almost a slightly out of body experience when you're pushing yourself uh, to a point where you're at the edge of your expertise, but you still feel in control. It's a, it's it's it's. I, I find I, I get flow like states when I go for long walks, um, where uh, you're uh, just hammering along um, and you feel like you could just go on for hours and hours. Now, obviously, that's not true because energy stores run down and <laughs> one has a circadian rhythm and all, all of those kinds of things. But uh, you bring it up um, as a kind of a uh, one of the, the many themes in this book. Could you talk a little bit about how you felt flow or if you felt flow or was it a, a transient or lasting state when uh, you were engaged in this uh, long walk mm, absolutely well i think it's an idea i idea i suppose a state of mind that something i almost dis- discovered on that walk in a in a slightly different way than i had before something i think is really powerful and highly I can never pronounce the surname, but Chicks. Except Mahaley. Writes about it climbing in a way that I really, um, really love. He'd say he'd get into this state where it's almost like completely timeless, that you're so focused on what's in front of you. You're almost a communion between your body and the rock that you, as you say, you have this sort of amazing euphoric experience. And it's something. I run a lot, I do a lot of kind of long distance running, particularly kind of mountain running where I'll be running maybe a hundred kilometers in one go. And, and a lot of that came off the back of the walk. I got into that, but I, I sort of engage with that experience through, um, through foot journeys. Um, and definitely I think there's something in how your mind works when you're, walking or journeying like that and you've got that simple goal of getting to the end the end of the day the end of the path whether it's running or walking that for me at least and it's very personal um it helps unlock and i think in that experience one it's a really amazing experience mentally i find just while you're in the moment but i also think and this may be completely wrong because the neuroscience may uh (laughs) contradict it but that almost other things in my mind settle, um, maybe issues I've got or things that I'm worried about seem to settle through that as if the two processes are kind of somehow interlinked and perhaps they're not. But I, um, I think it's engaging with the walking is probably the simplest way in a way to kind of engage the body. When the body's engaged in that way, I feel that the mind is happier. Um, and certainly one of the things I found so amazing about a walk like that is that you're managing, not that I was in flow the whole time, a lot of the time I was too hot or struggling with humidity or wishing I didn't have uh, my pack on my back and so on. But in the points you are engaging with that, you, you don't have a prolonged period. So if you're walking for eight, 10 hours a day, um, and that's one of the reasons I think it, a long distance walk like that done over months um, can be such a transformative experience because in a way you're engaging, you're exposing your mind to that kind of um, engagement um, and that kind of mental state for a prolonged period. And again, it might be wrong, but I felt. Oh, I was just going to supplement what you're saying a a little, because one of the things that you're doing in a walk like that is you're undertaking a walk in nature. Uh, you, you know, principally, although you're walking on roads, you're walking through 
spaces that aren't urban in the sense that uh, we've come to to realize or come to live with in in western europe um and you're getting to see a wide variety of of different types of nature um and you're getting to see the far horizon uh very regularly so uh one of the, the things that uh, is very very clear i think are becoming clear in the literature now is this idea that when you're in nature uh you have a kind of a rescaling of yourself in terms of of your relative importance in the universe um you know so you go to sleep at night under the open sky you can see the the uh, the stars above you you get up in the morning and you see this vast horizon ahead of you and you do have this feeling of uh awe is the phrase that's often used um where uh, you do feel a kind of a a shrinking of the self or a, a a resizing of the self relative to the world at large and that allows you to put your own worries and anxieties in some degree of perspective because mm -hmm. the world is much larger than any of us however often our thoughts and worries of the day tend to dominate the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the feelings that we might have. Um, and so you're giving yourself this wonderful exposure where you, you can induce these kinds of uh, rhythmic states because of the kind of walking you're engaging in. And at the same time, you're being refreshed continually by this e exposure to this vast uh, experience of nature, uh, which is something that you won't have grown up with. Uh, mm -hmm. because you didn't grow up on the highlands of Scotland or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, we, most of us have grown up now in, in urban environments. So they, our experience like that is, 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 uh, lacking. So I, I, I concur <laughs> with exactly with, uh, what you're saying. Could mm -hmm. I just ask you, uh, maybe, uh, about something, uh, which is, I suppose the inverse of a flow state you mentioned, uh, in quite a few places, uh, uh, how ill you were in certain places. Um, and, uh, was there a point when you were sick, uh, that you wanted to give up, uh, and actually seriously thought you would, or did you just think it's a gut problem? It'll pass. I just need to rest for a day or two. Um, I think it was, there's two instances. One was when I had this long day when I was in Northern Ghana and I was, I'd camped the night before and I'd, um, was essentially heading to this river junction, which was, I think, almost like 40 miles away. And I ended up, um, collapsing basically when I got there. I'd been really struggling with, um, water and I'd just feeling myself get weaker and weaker. And I remember, um, almost like coming to and there was this group of men, it was, um, by this mosque and were kind of, um spraying water on me and i remember at that moment i did you know i did give up effectively i went um they were saying you know don't worry there's a truck coming a truck will coming come and i had about 25 miles from there to get to a place called tamale which is a kind of administrative center in that part of ghana quite a big town and i remember just not having the, what i should have done what i planned to do was sleep there and then walk the next day but i remember just feeling so kind of overwhelmed by just having no energy and in that scenario I just let myself almost flow with the people around me and I kind of it was a few hours before a truck came or before the next car came and they just like lifted me onto the top of it and chucked my bag on and then I almost just kind of things I would wake up but I, I then just found myself in Tamale um that was the only time I kind of 
didn't do the walk as it were and I remember the next day um just feeling so crestfallen almost like that it you know I'd ruined the whole thing by missing out like 25 miles of course it's a bit absurd because no one's counting no one really I mean it only oh. counts <laughs> me um and I spent I stayed at this amazing um this amazing kind of monastic center actually in Tamale where I stayed there um for a few days and um and then just carried on walking but that was one moment I did give up I think the other time I had um I was quite sick um in northern Togo and that's when it can be it's probably the only time you really don't want to be where you are <laughs> I was in at that point a town called Dapong which is you know a nice town but you feel at least that this was seven eight years ago definitely feel very far away from home comforts uh yeah. when i was really ill i had some i don't know what i had but something some stomach thing and you're feverish and you're you feel quite alone even though the people i was lucky it was a hotel there so staying in the guest house people were really nice but you just don't have any there's no air conditioning there's no you can't drink water i don't know there's a load of things that you suddenly feel you miss all the privileges you have back home and all the things I got so used to um and you just want to be anywhere but um but there but, but isn't um, this a testament to the 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 human body in a way that uh you can uh do these uh things that uh are really demanding of it uh and you can subject it to these privations and illnesses and here you are seven or eight years later looking absolutely amazing and uh you've recovered <laughs> from the whole experience I um yeah, I mean I don't think I was ever sick, you know, I wasn't um I have had I've had malaria before in quite remote places I've had but I've never I've always been pretty lucky. I've never had like um you know, potentially life threatening um illness, um touch wood. And it never seriously I was always very kind of committed to the journey um and to felt very lucky to have a chance to do it. And I was really although a lot of the times I I wish you could, if you'd asked me if I could parachute out midway through lots of the days, I would have jumped, jumped at it. But ultimately, that often wasn't an option. You know, you're somewhere quite remote. There's, you're on paths or trails in the forest or in the desert and you can't, the only way is either back, walk back to the last village or walk on to the next village. It's not really, there's not really an, often another option. Um, and that again, simplicity, I really, really loved. Um, and I think it was really good for me just having that. You know, sim- simplicity of life, I guess. Super. So we're coming into the, the last couple of minutes. And uh, again, I want to, to thank Rob for uh, uh, talking to me uh, and talking about this wonderful book, which I urge you to go out and pre-order. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, just can, Rob, can I ask you, um, uh, this may be too searching a question, but can you tell us a little about what you learned about yourself Um as much as you feel comfortable publicly revealing, you know, you reveal a lot in the book, uh, but uh, how do you think the, the, the whole warp changed how you perceived yourself as a person? I don't think, uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. It's something um, my editor uh, pushed me to to look at and not naturally, probably it's not naturally a question I like an- I like answering or like exploring um, as, I, as I do a little in the book, but I suppose one of the things I learned most, and it's difficult sometimes to detach what I learned from um, the walk and what I learned from reflecting on the walk through the writing, because those two processes, in a sense, are quite different, but they're also quite interrelated. And now, looking back, they are 
sometimes impossible to unpick for, um, for, for me. But I think one of the main things I I went into it probably with quite a simple idea of what I hoped it would be and what I get out of it. Um, that ultimately it would be a long a long a long walking trip where I'd hope I'd hope be able to make myself. In some respects, I probably went into it with a slightly um, an idea of maybe even like trying to become a man or I was 27 then something that it would be a kind of forging experience in some respects um, and that I needed something to shape me out of kind of inertia and feeling of that I had before and that it would give me some sense of, of self um, and that I had an idea that a, a struggle could be a, that a pilgrimage could be a rite of passage in, in that way I guess um, and and was it I think, I think in some respects it, it was, but probably not for the reasons I thought. I think I came away from it, um, one, realizing instead of, as I touched on earlier, just how reliant I was actually on other people rather than coming out of it having, I don't know, accomplished something or challenged myself physically. But it wasn't really about that at all. It was a, a mental exercise and an exercise in kind of opening up to connections that I hadn't had before with some of the things we touched on with the natural world, with ideas of community, and also with ideas of the past. I it didn't go with any ideas about this, but I lost my father when I was very small, and definitely it was something that came up as I was walking and as I reflected on why I'd done it and what it meant for me. It was in part helping me kind of confront that um, and explore that in my own mind, and certainly lots of. I suppose the ideas of the people I was passing, the cultures I was passing, they have a very different um, conception, I suppose, or, or way of marking the dead, basically, the passing of the dead. And that, those ideas, coupled with the walk, definitely um, engaged my mind on that um, and helped me kind of, I don't know what the right word would be, but helped me confront it and helped me... Um, come to terms with it, I suppose, in ways that I probably just shut it out before. And it was never something that I even thought about as missing, really, um, or thought about as something that was holding me back. But I think through the walk, I began to realise, I realised that it was. Um, so tell us about what you learned about other people. So it's easy to be solipsistic and focus on yeah. oneself, <laughs> but uh, uh, you ended up not in solitude. There were obviously long periods when there were no people around, but uh, the story, as you tell it, uh, it, the network and web of relationships that you form, uh, transient as they were, were absolutely vital to sustaining you through this process. So Mm -hmm. your your views of our common humanity must have evolved a little or changed a little as a result of this. Yeah, I think, uh, certainly. I mean, I think it, any journey like that gives you great faith in other people. I think I left um, feeling that you can rely on, well, through that journey, I was able to rely on people who I'd never met in a way that I probably wouldn't go into, I wouldn't have gone into a journey like believing that it was possible to quite the extent it was. Um, and that's a really amazing thing. I think when you're on foot, in a sense, you're, you pull down so many barriers between yourself and strangers as you're putting yourself in some respects in quite a vulnerable position. All you have are, I restricted myself to carrying 40 possessions. So I have 40 things in my backpack, including my tent and, and you have your two feet and you arrive 
and because of that, you're quite vulnerable. Um, and in that situation, I found everywhere I went that people look after you, basically. Um, and that's a really, really positive and amazing thing. And I think it was, yeah, I think that that's probably probably the main um, the main thing. And even where language, you know, I speak French, but and Togo and Benin, kind of French is the national language. Ghana, it's English, but it's not often the the day to day language people speak. But even in places where I couldn't, um, you know, I didn't speak uh, speak the language, it, it wasn't a barrier. To, I mean, obviously, the barrier to some things, but it wasn't a barrier to the simple interactions that we needed in order to forge bonds and to um to kind of support each each other um can i ask you uh, what's a possibly a trivial question but actually as a walker it always concerns me what shoes did you wear <laughs> i actually wore running uh running shoes i had a pair of uh asics trainers um, okay I, I i've never wear walking boots. i really don't like walking boots i prefer i'm not saying this is a recommendation but i I do a lot, I say a lot of like mountain running and I much prefer the lightness of. Yeah, no, um, they, they, that makes total sense. And I, I, I was reading through your book and thinking he can't be wearing hiking boots. This is, it, it would be a, a crazy decision. And I was thinking perhaps maybe you just were wearing simple sandals or uh, a, a simple pair of life walking shoes, but uh, runners are <laughs> obviously. I was wearing running shoes. Yeah. And I'm quite a runner mentee in some respects. Like even when I'm walking, I kind of engage with like the, I don't know how to describe it. I kind of thinking as if I'm running in a sense, in the way I'm thinking about covering the ground. I try and go really light. Um, and, yeah. and just in respect of the shoes, sorry to keep harping on about them, but um, <laughs> did the one pair of shoes last you the whole time or did you have to buy? Wasn't that fantastic? That, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the shoes. Uh, yeah. They did. And they, um, yeah. They were very, very sturdy. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, sorry. I know it's this. A small <laughs> issue, but, uh, you know, to walk, uh, unless you're doing it barefoot and you're used to it, uh, you do need to put shoes on and finding shoes that work for you, uh, can often be a, a bit of a trick. <laughs> yeah, no, no, 100%. And I've done long run. I've another story that I've done before a thousand mile run, which was over 30 days, which I did, um, before. And on that trip, I think I went through five pairs of shoes. Um, so it's going through trainers every week. Um, but yeah, walking. These ones lasted. Um, can I ask, uh, you we're coming into the last uh, couple of moments here. Can I ask you why you chose Africa uh, of all of the potential places you could have done? Mm. Um, yeah, Africa is a vast continent, obviously. So the... uh, I, um, well, I think I'd started with the idea of a walk. Um, so I wanted um, to find a place in a way where I could um where I could walk and wanted to be walking for kind of six months or so. And I actually remember going to this amazing um, map shop called Stanford's in Covent Garden. I remember yeah, going I know it well. <laughs> uh, I remember going down there and they used to have a basement area and I remember laying out lots of different maps. And I've been kind of draw, I was, I was thinking about potentially doing something, a more traditional pilgrimage route like the Camino, but I'd always been, I suppose drawn to that part of West Africa, and it's a very specific, you know, Ghana, and Benin. If you look at the map of West Africa, I was just in a very small, a small part of it. But um, just through stories I'd read, I was loved. Um, ben Okri is a writer who's you know, written some amazing, amazing books. Something called The Famished Road is probably his best known. And um, Chinua Shabi, lots of my favourite writers 
Ira from are heavily inspired by that part of West Africa, also particularly Nigeria, which I didn't go to, but right next door to where I was. Um, and I went, again, perhaps naively, but with I, I hope that there would be ideas about interactions with the natural world, interactions with the past that perhaps had fallen away or weren't as present where I was from or in some of the other areas I was looking at. Um, and so it wasn't particularly well, well thought out, but it was it was slightly going on instincts inspired by stories I'd, I'd read and it made it a, visit, a place I really wanted to visit. Um, and yeah, it, it was quite a, an interesting process building the route because from that I then had to kind of find places to join the dots basically like where did I want to walk and I and that was a really interesting process then looking for um kind of which places I could stop in which places I would make the kind of waypoints of the journey um and it turned out a mix of kind of amazing shrines and and ancient cities and some kind of mountains it was yeah it's, it's an amazing part of the world um now can I ask you as a final question are you writing a next book have, have you decided uh, that you want to do another or are you just going to see what happens i'm going to see what happens i think i should say because i um i run a business my main um my main thing is a company called tribe which is um you know a really amazing thing and i'm very lucky to do that so it's, i think for now i'm just um you know focused on on that and on, on waypoints and um and seeing what people think you know it's a funny process because in a way i spent however long working on it with my agent my editor but it's quite a small pool of people and so suddenly you're like it's coming out into the world and I really hope people like it and find it a, a good story but ultimately I'm you know waiting and seeing and it'll be interesting to see what people think <laughs> okay well look we're going to finish up here I want to uh, to thank Rob for uh, uh, doing this uh, experimental podcast with me uh, we'll see how <laughs> it goes afterwards but I, I really want to recommend this book uh, Waypoints A Journey on Foot uh, published by Jonathan Cape it comes out on the uh, 1st of April uh, but uh, I'm sure Rob would appreciate uh, pre-orders uh, always a, a good feeling for a, an author ahead of time that people are interested in, in his book ahead of time and I, I think it, I, I, we both have a, a common interest in walking uh, and as, as I've said, Rob is a, a very brave walker. I've never undertaken a, a walk of a, a thousand uh, miles through territories of the type that he has described. Um, I, I should sometime, I guess, but uh, I, I reckon that will be a retirement uh, <laughs> uh, journey. Um, but this is, as I've said at the start, this is a really remarkable book. Um, it, it's a part of meditation. Uh, it's, it's part of travelogue. Um, and you will learn a lot about lots of things. Uh, the book is, while it's Africa centric and focuses on the, the journey uh, that kind of offers the spine for the book, uh, you will end up traveling to all sorts of places. Uh, you, you'll find yourself, as I've already mentioned, in Africa, in Russia. Uh, you'll find yourself in uh, Antarctica. Um, there's even a mention of County Carlo, uh, <laughs> about 80 or 90 miles to the uh, uh, southwest of where I'm currently seated. Uh, so there's, there, you will find all sorts of things to, to enjoy in this book. And what I recommend, uh, is to read it all through in one go, put it down for a little bit and go back and read it in pieces, just opening it at random. Um, it, it, it's the kind of book that you don't have to 
uh, feel you have to have a narrative flow the whole way through. Uh, there is one present, but it's a book that I think profits from going back and, and looking at different passages and uh, looking at different sections again. And I, I must say, uh, for me, uh, it, it has been one of my reading highlights uh, uh, over the past year. And I'm very grateful uh, to Rob for sending me a copy of it. And I'm also very grateful to him for uh, sitting down and doing this uh, podcast interview, the very first one I've ever conducted. So we'll see how uh, this goes. Uh, thank you so much. Shane, thank you so much. It's great, uh, great to have this conversation.